and I'm just coming in to do a live episode, taking a break from work for a couple minutes because things have been absolutely crazy um, this week, and it's only Tuesday. So let's talk about all the stuff going on in my life and just everywhere over the last uh, couple days and all that stuff. So, all right, um, let's see. First of all, I rearranged my office a little bit, if you haven't noticed. I put, like, my third monitor that used to be, like, on the side, like, behind me now, well, in front of me when I'm working. So that's been helping out a little bit to help me with some work. Um, so, yeah, a little life rearranging there. Um, this week is my birthday. For those of you who know me know that I absolutely despise the aging process. Um, so since I've been, like, maybe, like, I don't know, let's say maybe, like, 22, 23 years old, I kind of have been at this point where I didn't really want to age anymore because I was pretty happy at that point in life. You know, that's like this good point in life where like you don't have to be responsible yet and like have a job and everything and like you don't need much money. It was like acceptable to be, uh, you know, living off of your parents or whatever, stuff like that. So I don't like, not a fan of the, the age thing. So I, my birthday is this week on Thursday. I'm totally after work until the weekend, like hardcore. So let's talk a little bit about that. Some of the stuff that's going on, all the stuff I've been up to recently. Um, so, you know, we just had Christmas and all that stuff. I feel like that was like a million years ago, but it was literally just, you know, two weeks ago. And I worked last week and I'm working this week, but I have just so much stuff going on. So first thing, so I've mentioned before that I am applying for promotion to full professor. And to do that, I had to do this huge, huge long document and gather all these materials, like all the publications I've ever written, like everything, and put it into these documents that were literally like 700 pages long. And I submitted that this morning. So big thing off my plate that I've got done. Now it's like course prep mode, but... So I'm prepping my courses. I'm teaching two new classes this semester. I'm teaching a streaming for video and audio course, like streaming for gaming course, which is going to be super fun to teach. And then I'm teaching an intro to programming class, which is also going to be fun to teach, as well as general instructional design. Um, so since I'm teaching two new classes, I have to create a bunch of videos. I've mentioned this before. You're going to see more and more videos popping up on my site about like programming and video and streaming stuff over the next few weeks as I get these courses prepped. So I'm in like major prep mode because my classes start next Wednesday, which means I have to open these up for my students early next week. I have like a week. And in the meantime, I mean, for fun, you know, I have a presentation tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I have a presentation tomorrow. And uh, so I'm prepping for that. It's a short presentation only. Uh, it's like at our uh, university's Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. It is called One Million Cups. So it's a quick six-minute presentation where I'm talking about UNCW esports and what we're doing and what we need and, uh, you know, kind of what our vision and goals are. It's only six minutes, but surprisingly, that's very difficult. Cause I've, so I've been doing all these esports presentations for so many different groups of people from literally from potential investors to uh, middle school students. So like the, the audience range... W ranges vastly. Um, now, the funny thing is I have like a, a MOAP, 
So if you're not familiar with a MOAP, MOAP is the mother of all presentations. So I have this huge, big, ginormous esports presentation developed. And basically what I do is for each presentation that I do, I cut it and modify it and change it to the presentation that I'm going to talk about. That way I just had a grade at one time and I can keep reusing it. You know, I basically keep plagiarizing my own presentation. Um, and that, so it's, it's hard. Most of my presentations are between 30 and 60 minutes. So it's really difficult to only do one that is six minutes. Right now I'm cut down to 17 slides, <laughs> six minutes and 17 minutes. So as soon as I'm done with this stream, which I'm doing just literally to procrastinate, um, I have to go and finish up this presentation that I'm going to develop for tomorrow. So got to get that done. Um, if you didn't check it out, I posted my uh, levels for gaming presentation, if you're interested in that at all, which is really like just all the different ways to implement educational games into the classroom. Check it out on my YouTube channel. Um, I just created that last week and it's a I think it's a really good, interesting topic, and I'm planning to potentially write a book about it this summer. So let me know what y'all think about that, because I, I kind of need to know if I should be pursuing that interest further or not. Um, okay, so that's like work stuff, just crazy. And then I have more presentations next week. I'll talk about that next week when I come on live, or maybe later this week if I come on again. Um, other things going on, just all kinds of crazy stuff. So let's talk about like stuff going on in the world. Our world is like, uh, so one of the topics, you know, I don't t talk about specific political issues really or anything like that, or people in office or anything like that. Um, I'm not a big fan of doing that, but the one issue that's coming up right now is about the technology and big tech. And does big tech have too much power? And should they be able to shut people off of their sites, basically ban people from their sites and ban certain content and uh, stuff like that? So let me talk a little bit about that and my feelings about that. My feelings about that have not changed. You know, the, the United States had like an incident last week with the, uh, you know, the riot at the Capitol. And, and I don't want to address that issue. I'll, I'll talk about, in general, my thoughts on social media and big tech and what they can and cannot do. So let's talk a little bit about it. So first of all, let me give you a little background on myself and some of the personal issues I've encountered with big tech. And if you pay attention to my website and stuff, I'm very like much about security and making sure that my system browser, internet and all that stuff is very secure. So I'll address some of that as well. So first of all, and I've told this story numerous times in these videos and other videos and on my LinkedIn page and all that stuff. So about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, um, I was, I found this cool article. It was posted on like Mashable or Wired or something like that about uh, these some summer camp teaching girls like elementary and middle school girls how to program, you know, code. And I, uh, I posted, I thought it was a really cool article. I posted it on LinkedIn and Twitter and said like, you know, learning how to code is an awesome skill set. It's awesome to see initiatives like this happening in education. No big deal. Pretty harmless post, right? Get a message from Twitter within maybe an hour or two that my account's been banned for a week. Um, 
I can't remember the exact wording. I posted it at that time on my LinkedIn to say how ridiculous it was. But the wording was something like, um, you did something on Twitter that was unacceptable against our policy. You've, your account's been flagged. Um, and you, you can't post or do anything for like, it was like, I couldn't do anything for two or three days. And then after two or three days I could appeal, but, or I could just wait a week and like, you know, uh, wait for my account to be unbanned, unlocked, I should say. Um, and I couldn't figure out what I had done. So I went through and thought about my last few posts and I went and I started doing some Google searching. It turns out that what happened is some, ex, I guess, some reporter had gotten fired from their job. I don't know. I don't know the, the circumstances of this whatsoever. So I'm just giving you the gist of what I remember about it is that a reporter had been fired for their job reporting on something political and the extreme of the other side. I don't know if it was the right or left extreme on one of those sides was mad at this reporter and kept tweeting to the reporter, like, ah, ha, ha, you lost your job. Why don't you learn to program or learn a useful skill? Was the gist of what they were saying. I'm not saying reporting is not a useful skill. I have, after having interviewed people and creating videos and stuff, being a journalist and writing is an extremely difficult skill. Um, but anyway, they were saying, like, oh, learn to code, like, learn a job kind of thing. Um, and what happened was... Because they were using that, every person that was talking about coding, like literally computer programming on Twitter, was banned. Their account was banned. <laughs> um, so I posted this on LinkedIn, and I had two other people comment to me that in the last few weeks, their accounts were banned on Twitter for talking about computer programming. One was a computer science professor, and I'm a professor of instructional technology. So like, this is what we do is talk about. I'm literally teaching intro to programming this semester. <laughs> um, so we were, you know, banned from Twitter for the week. I did think it was 100% ridiculous. Um, and the problem I had with this circumstance was that Twitter was using AI to flag me. And that's, I'm okay with that. Um, the problem with the whole situation was not that it, my post was flagged, not that uh, the AI found it by mistake and thought I was part of this extremist group that was posting stuff. The problem was that there was nothing I could do. Once they decided to ban me, I couldn't actually do anything. And that right there was the problem. Um, there was no like person I could contact to say like, hey, like there was a mistake. What's going on? Why did this happen? So that's, so one of my issues with big tech is there's no human. There's no human on the other end and they need to implement that. I had no problem with Twitter's policy. I had no problem with their AI. If someone was, you know, giving threats to another human using this hashtag, and I had used the hashtag by mistake, I, I uh, have no problem with them looking for that and trying to stop this situation from occurring. Like, fine. I do have a problem with the fact that once I was flagged and it was by mistake was that there was no person on the other end, nothing I could do about it. And why did that happen? Because these companies, unfortunately, for as large as they are, aren't large enough to have huge customer service centers. 
And so I think that one of the areas going forward for these social media firms is that they need to have customer service centers so they can deal with these kind of problems. Now, let me give you another next case scenario. Next case is with Facebook. So my wife has a Facebook. She owns a company, Carefree Organics. She produces her own skincare and stuff. She doesn't. It's not like a pyramid marketing scheme type thing. It's this is her own product. She started this seven or eight years ago. She started this company and uh, she makes her own products. She has a couple employees, all that good stuff. Um, this is her own thing. So she was creating a product that had was using CBD oil, which if you're not familiar with CBD oil, is it's like it's like the oil in cannabis that is, it doesn't have any THC, so it doesn't like make you high or anything like that. It's just the oil, but it's supposed to be, there's all kinds of research on it. It's completely legal. Uh, you can use it for everything. And yeah, someone just commented, oh, they use CBD. So what happens is she ran an ad on Facebook for her company um, promoting her new product with CBD oil. And Facebook banned her whole entire account permanently. No warning, no message, no anything. Um, not even like a, hey, your account's shut down for a week or a month or a year. You, your account, your business account is permanently shut down. No explanation, no reason. And again, uh, so I, we started searching online and we found that Facebook apparently has a policy, even though it wasn't written in their agreement. It just says any, you know, there's a part in their agreement that basically says anything that we deem as bad, we can, you know, flag kind of thing. And apparently they had something against CBD oil. And if you, so it wasn't just us, this was thousands of companies advertising it on their site. Um, they were just going through and blanketly banning all of these companies. And they weren't just banning like stopping the account or something. They were making it so that her company still cannot advertise on Facebook. This is like three years ago. Now we found a way to circumvent that and advertise her products on Facebook. So it's not like a huge, huge thing. Um, but yeah, her account is still actually blocked and the product she was advertising was not illegal. There was no explanation. There was no anything. Um, but you can, if you search about it in Google, you see tons of people like my whole company's whatever was, you know, we weren't a CBD company. We had one product out of many that was using the product and her whole thing was banned. So, so there is a level of these companies have a lot of power. Now they do have power because they created a platform for that. Um, so a, these are private companies owned by shareholders. They're all publicly traded, but they're still private companies controlled by a board of directors and shareholders and stuff. Um, so I am all for them being able to make their own decisions as long as they're not, you know, discriminating against people for certain things. Um, we know what the, the Supreme Court has said, like sexual orientation, race, gender, that kind of stuff. You can't discriminate age, all that, especially age. As I said, I'm getting older. It's, it's my birthday week. So can't discriminate against people for that stuff. Um, but they do have their policies and you agree to their policies and you are at the whim. If you are, have a business and you're making money from Facebook selling advertising or Amazon selling or eBay or whatever it is, and they decide to ban your account, you know, they, that's within their right. So your business or whatever needs to be prepared for that. Um, you know, it's, 
so it's kind of crazy and it's not so here's here's where i here's where i think so i i'm glad these companies exist i think they're doing a lot of good things um, there's a lot of positives. I use their services and I'm, I'm grateful that this stuff exists because imagine going through coronavirus without the internet and all this cool stuff we've had. Like it'd be, it would have been terrible in like 1983, you know? Um, we wouldn't have had, our only sources of information were newspapers. And in some ways that was all better, right? Like, you know, with all the misinformation out there. Um, so I'm grateful for a lot of the things these companies do. And I think that overall, the people working for them have started out with all really good intentions. Um, it becomes a nightmare to manage all the stuff that's going on in these sites, right? And I think there's, we're at a point now where there's this intersection of these companies aren't sure, they're so big that they're not sure how they, how to manage themselves. And I think they'll figure it out with time, but I think one of my personal suggestions for these companies is they need customer service centers. They need, they need humans on the other end that you can talk to. So my wife could talk to someone on the phone or via email and say, hey, we were, what happened? And they could have said, oh, you were advertising this product. And she could say, oh, I, I didn't know. It was against policy, I'm really sorry. And they could say, oh, okay, you can't advertise this. It's not a big deal, you know, but you can't advertise stuff like this. Um, we're going to reinstate your account, that kind of thing. Like that could have happened and been a really good, easy customer service issue for Facebook, or in, they could have just never approved the ad in the first place. That's the weird thing. Like their AI approved the ad and then shut it down. So there's like some weird stuff happening there. So those are some of my personal experiences with these companies and some of the power they've had. Now let's talk about what's happened over the last week with them, you know, banning the president from these platforms and that kind of stuff. Um, I think that it's 100% within their right to ban someone fine. Like they, they can do that. That's, it's their product. Um, I think as the president, if I, so if I was president and I was banned on one of these companies, I would be worried and I wouldn't be worried for one second. So as president, you have a lot of power. You can literally go on TV 24 seven, whenever you want to, you can use the white house website to just post a blog and post stuff 24 seven if you want to. So your audience as someone who is famous, you do not need to rely on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or any of these companies. You can get your message out there. If you are famous president, baseball player, actor, you can just create your own website and you can get your information out there no matter what. So as far as like them being banned and stopping them from speaking to people, I don't think that's the case. These people, those people like that, it can shut me down, but it can't shut someone who's famous down. They always have an audience, always have access. The media and everybody will be wherever Trump is. He will have followers. He will have media and he will have people that don't like him watching it too. He's kind of like, remember like when Howard Stern in the 90s, like people who liked him watched him, people who hated him watched him or listened to him, like Trump will have the same thing. Um, so someone asked, do we, do we want a product that only broadcasts good opinions? Uh, well, it depends because the thing about Facebook and Twitter and all those things are that who you follow and watch might be just an echo chamber of what you want to hear and see. I've had people on my Facebook feed be like, I've just blocked 50 people that disagreed with me. So they're creating that for themselves. As far as the platform itself, 
having opinions. I think opinions are one thing. Um, but the problem that we had with social media was that it became a, a chamber, a place for people to start to do illegal, illegal things um, or things that were, you know, almost detrimental to society. Posting, you know, with coronavirus, literally posting like fake, fake videos that were, they were trying to make them sound as if they were real. So it's one thing to like have like a fake video that's like Saturday Night Live or whatever, like a comedy that's supposed to be funny, not real. But like when you're po trying to trick people into posting something fake, then that's a little different. There, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of gray area there about what's right and wrong there. But you have to remember these companies, unfortunately, will start to be able to be sued for misinformation and weird things. So in some way, they're trying to act on their best interests. These companies would love to uh, not have to moderate all this nonsense that's happening. They have to have this, uh, spend all this money on AI to monitor what's going on on their site. They don't wanna do that. They're doing that because they keep getting sued or whatever before it. Um, they, they have this sense of responsibility that comes upon them, unfortunately, that they have to moderate. Um, so, you know, so I don't think that it's, a, it's not about opinion, it's about purposely presenting inaccurate information to trick people, I think is, is where the problem comes in. And it seems to be working. I mean, there are people that really believe a lot of stuff that when you look at all the evidence, it really points to one direction and all they do is grasp onto the next part of that. It's like a, this ladder that's like slipping away and they just keep grasping onto like the next ring and that ring breaks and it's like, whoa, I got this other one and I got this other one and it's like, you know, it, it, it becomes exhausting. And now what happened over the last week with Twitter and Facebook and stuff banning the president, I think that, you know, they're really, first of all, I will say that any human that is not famous would have been banned by Twitter or Facebook or Amazon or any of these companies, any app a long, long time ago if they weren't the president or like a famous baseball player, actor and stuff. All those famous people get away with a lot of stuff that you and I would be banned from those sites for. So remember that, first of all. Um, but, you know, the fact that this was a platform where a lot of false information that was being spread that led to criminal activity is why they did what they did. And, and I think if, if it was a you know, I mean, any, I think of any bad organization, like just imagine if like when the World Trade Center bombings happened, if like they would have, all of them would have been communicating via Twitter, like you would expect Twitter to just shut down all those accounts. So I can't blame them for after, I mean, people died last week at the Capitol and it was a terrible incident. So I can't blame any communication that was causing or part of that to be ceased. So I, I can't blame that. Now, as far as, so let's take, okay, so there's that issue. Then take the issue of a site like Parler, which is becoming popular. People have been talking about it. Um, uh, no, I talk about all kinds of different issues. I just happen to be talking about this today. <laughs>
<laughs> I usually talk about tech and education and learning and all kinds of stuff, but this is an issue a lot of people have been asking me about as someone interested in technology and like the security side and programming side of things, what my thoughts are about the issue. So I've been just talking about it um, today randomly. Um, I kind of talk about whatever, whatever the sometimes earlier in this episode I talked about I've been busy at work and I've been talking about like building my new house and all kinds of good stuff like that. So kind of everything. Um, but the other issue I wanted the other, the last thing about this topic I even wanted to talk about was the whole parlor thing. And, uh, when I do my show this week, I want to talk about this topic with, uh, my colleagues that come on on Thursdays and, uh, but the whole thing with parlor. So let's take parlor and I don't even care about parlor or whatever it is. Um, so Parler, the idea of Parler is not new. In fact, when MySpace, Facebook, any of those places started, they started out as a Parler, a place where people could post anything. And eventually what happened is they realized that, okay, there's some bad people out there. They're going to say or do some bad things based on what's on here. And we're going to have to moderate. And this can't be a platform for free speech anymore because we, that company, Facebook or MySpace or whoever, will be sued. Um, so there have been numerous sites throughout the years that have, uh, tried to create an open platform where anything anonymous can occur, like anonymous speech, free speech. Um, and unfortunately all of them have went in the same direction. And that is that they all got shut down or all had to completely change because something illegal happened on the site and it kind of ruins it for everybody. Same thing's happening with Parler right now. They're going through just what all these other places have went through. They, they're going to have to moderate if they want to come back. That's all there is to it. It's like, you know, it's like a few bad apples ruin it for everybody. It's the same thing with all these sites. It's why there's the dark web. It's why I've got, uh, you know, Tor installed on my browser. When, you know, people use Tor, it's like we invented Tor for... Uh, the Department of Defense actually invented Tor, came up with the idea for Tor, a very secure website where no one could track you. And it's like, and unfortunately, all kinds of illegal activity happens on it all of a sudden. And now Tor is this open source web server, so they're not responsible. But like, you know, when you're talking about a social media platform, it becomes. And it's just a, it's just a crummy issue. That's all. I mean, it's just a, I, I, I wish things could be different, but we, we're a society where we can't just be left to do what we want to because we're too irresponsible. Peace, someone messes it up for the rest of us. And so we have to deal with it. Now, fortunately, messing it up, like, you know, it's pretty easy to fall within the rules. But hey, the two examples I gave you, I got banned from Twitter. My wife got, <laughs> her company got banned from Facebook. So you know what? It's happening. It does happen. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting and crazy. And I think that, I think what's happening now will bring some of these issues to light and hopefully we'll see some solutions to them or some better, better forms of the way, you know, better business with uh, some of these big companies. So those are kind of my thoughts. So someone asked me, what did you ask about linking websites together? Is that what you asked? Oh yeah, the CBD thing is kind of crummy. It was, and it, the thing was, it was completely legal, a completely legal product that she was trying to advertise. So as far as linking the websites together, this isn't something I can go through for this kind of video because I don't have like my computer open on the screen to like show you what's going on. Um, 
but I will tell you, so I do have a video that shows how to link them together. And um, I am actually, I'm teaching an intro to programming class this semester. And one of my topics is HTML, CSS, and I'm gonna be creating a new video on linking websites together in like the next three to five days. Um, I'm gonna be coming out with a new video that talks about that and walks through Dreamweaver and kind of walks through all the new stuff that's been happening in it. So if you, um, unless you have a specific question, I can try to answer it, but it's kind of hard without my computer to, to click on the page. It says my file can't be accessed. Oh, so if you're clicking, if you're trying to install something, if you're, so if you're creating web pages and trying to link, so let me just transition into this topic. So someone asked about linking web pages together. And what they're doing is they're trying to link pages together. And a lot of times you try to link your page or you have an image on a web page and you, when you publish it, what you notice is that it's not working correctly. Usually what that means is that the link is incorrect. So when you, from the time you saved it to publish, the file structure is not correct. So check the, check the links. It's gotta be in the links. If they're both being published, if it's working, is it, if it's working on your computer, but then not working when you actually publish it, it's the, the file structure is not correct. For example, if I'm trying to link to a page called links.html um, and it works on my computer, but not when I uh, publish it, it's because the, the, the directory is incorrect on my computer. It's not right. So my suggestion to people usually is to put everything in one folder on your desktop. So put all those files on the one computer, one folder, and make sure that the links are only pointing to that one folder. There's no like, you know, C drive colon slash slash in the link. It's just like um, index. Okay, and someone just asked me another question. Um, so that's with the web stuff. So someone just asked about my experience as an instructional designer um, so it works if I open the page alone itself, but I want to open another. It says it can't be accessed. Uh, huh. And I'm going to answer this other question about being a military instructional designer in a second too. So let's see. I just checking all these comments. It works if I open the page alone by itself, but I want to change to another page. It's got to be in the links. It's hard without me actually looking at it to identify the issue, um, but that would be my initial suggestion. Okay, somebody asks if a space I'd like to ask you about. So they wanna ask about my experience as an instructional designer for the military. I'm interested in the switching to ISD. Currently a curriculum developer. I assume you're a curriculum developer. Are you in K to 12, higher ed or corporate? And you're considering going military? Is that what? the case is um, for the Air Force. So are, are you considering going to the Air Force or you're considering you're, you are in the Air Force? Focus on English as a second language. All right, so someone focuses on ESL and they're talking at considering going into ID for the military. Um, oh, already there, gotcha. Well, I mean, if you're already there, then you should, I mean, it shouldn't be any different. Each branch of the military and each piece and component of it is going to have their own different structure to an extent. But in general, being a military contractor, 
And an instructional designer is an excellent job, excellent career path, especially uh, you might currently already have secret or top secret clearance, but pay is good. There's an endless supply of projects. Um, I've never seen the field, you know, I've been in the field since 2003 and that's through the 08 financial crisis. I've never seen, especially in military contracting, never seen it hurting. But right now, so that's in general, the field is good, pay is good, lots of opportunity to move where, pretty much wherever you want to as long as you get on a good contract and aren't expected to move around, especially a lot of online work, though I will say that most of my alumni in military work right now aren't working from home. They're the ones expected to work in the office, at least not as much. Some of them are working from home, but pretty much all my uh, students or alumni and corporate right now are all working from home. And the thing I will say about our field right now is that the money and the demand is in corporate ID. And the reason I say that is because coronavirus has pretty much shifted every company. Military was already there a lot in a lot of ways. Military is much more stable, but I'm having students graduate right now starting in six figures in ID, um, moving into cities, but starting six figures in ID right now in corporate because the demand for ID, basically converting content to e-learning or developing new e-learning content is so high because of COVID. It basically pushed us forward, the instructional designers forward, I don't know, like five to 10 years or even further. I mean, I thought we should have been where we are right now in 2003 and we weren't. I couldn't believe it, but we weren't. So, um, you know, just how to present, how to, so many things, such demand right now for IDs in corporate. Um, but the, the military role is always there. It's good, steady pay, good pensions, all the stuff about it is good. Even as a military contractor, all that's really great. Um, so yeah, I mean, the only thing I didn't like about ID in the military was I didn't like working on any project that required secret clearance, um, because I couldn't be that isolated while I worked. I'm a big, you know, I've got three monitors open. I've got an iPad. I've got my phone. I, I need stuff and I need to be able to contact, read news, see stuff. Um, so it didn't necessarily fit with my, uh, my way of working, but otherwise pay was good. And, uh, Jobs are out there. Lots of jobs are out there right now. I mean, it's, it's, I can't believe how COVID made instructional design such a, the demand for it in the wake of COVID is surprising. Specific program apps I should learn. So if I was going to tell a new instructional designer what software they would want to go into, I would tell them to look at Articulate or Captivate. Um, those would be the two big big ones. And I'd pick one of them because they're very similar. So if you can use one, it's pretty easy to learn the other. Um, I would make sure on your resume you have that you can use both of them. And I'd, I'd download the trial of both of them, but I'd focus on one of them. I would create, put together some, a couple tutorials, learning how to use them, but pick a topic of interest, put together a couple tutorials for your portfolio using either Articulate or Captivate. Those are the two big pieces of software we use in the field. A third piece of software, something else I'd try to focus on a little bit would be Camtasia for video. Um, but I think that Articulate or Captivate shows some examples of, you know, mobile, shows some examples of you don't need to get certification in either of them. Certification in those pieces of software isn't going to help you at all. Um, now, if you want certification in ID or master's in ID, that's a different discussion. Um, 
but you don't need certification in the software. Not those pieces of software. It's not like programming where like, you know, I would really, uh, really recommend someone get a certification in it because they need to show they can program. You know, literally articulate or captivate are like PowerPoint on steroids. They're just like a step up from PowerPoint. So it's not like this huge thing that you need certification in. I mean, if you can use it, you can use it. Your portfolio will tell, tell me if you can use it or not. And as someone said, um, oh yeah, really don't want a third graduate degree. I hear you. I, I, I understand. Um, you know, the key is ha being able to pass the interviews with the knowledge that you do have. So do you understand, you know, you can go through any of my videos and start looking it up, but do you understand educational theory? Can you talk about instructional design models? Can you talk about you know, multimedia principles or a learning taxonomy and things like that. Because if you can talk about all that stuff, um, you're going to do fine in your interviews and you're going to know enough to get by. I mean, if you download, you could go to my website, download my book. It's free. Um, the PDF file is free. Read through there. I'll, I'll, so much terminology I have in that book just throughout the chat. And it's really short, too. It's not a long book. It's a quick read. Um, if you can go through all that stuff, you will be able to fly through the, the theoretical part of the interview. And you'll just need to get through the technical and portfolio part, which is really showing them a portfolio, talking about why you design the way you do, some you know, user interface stuff, and uh, just having like some articulate and captivate examples. And like, you know, the, the funny thing is like I've shown, I have a video about portfolios. When I show someone my portfolio, I don't show them real work samples because my clients, I can't show them the stuff that my client developed for my clients. So what we've done, my company's done, is we have like a PowerPoint presentation that has like an example of a couple screenshots of mobile-based instruction, a couple screenshots of video-based instruction, a couple screenshots of regular training. And, and I walk them through that presentation and that's always been good enough. If they want to meet with me privately and I can zoom in a a real client's piece of work, we can do that as long as it's not recorded. Um, but I don't think I've ever had a client really do that. Usually even when they want something live, I just pull something up from YouTube and say, here's an example of what it could look like. They're, they're pretty good with that. It's more about being able to talk them and walk them through that process. That's the part I actually enjoy most. I, you know, I started out as a programmer, a developer, but I've really gotten into the talking to clients and walking them through and convincing them that my company is the best one for them and winning that proposal. That's what I like the best. I like just getting them excited for the project and telling them what's possible, what's not, like that strategy and thinking through their problem and how to solve it. Uh, HTML and CSS is important, but it's not as important as uh, Articulate or Captivate. I mean, it is, it, you know, it all depends like what, what you want to do. I, I mean, it's your, I would say that right now, if you're an e-learning developer, learning LMS developer, 90% of your work is articulate and captivate, which is in my opinion, kind of boring. And I'm not like the biggest fan of those pieces of software. I think they're really cool and can do some stuff, but it's not like, I'm not like excited by it. But I think understanding some basic HTML and CSS is important. I think understanding programming logic, uh, understanding database logic is very important. How that stuff works, when do you need it? Just so when you hear a client's problem, you can say, I really think you need, to, you need a database for this. Or I think that 
you know, you understand, it, it helps you understand the back end of the learning management system that they're using if by chance you need to edit it for them. I mean, I'm working on some projects, two projects right now where we are um, installing, well, we're purchasing an LMS for the company, but we're in charge of the back end. We're the administrators. So we have to set it up for them and talk to them about user permissions. And you have to know some coding, a little bit of coding. Um, and I think graphic, then you have graphic software, which is like Photoshop and Illustrator, being able to, you know, do some basic edits in them at the very least. Cause usually when we're using images, we're always, uh, buying them or the, the company's graphic artist develops them for us. We don't usually develop images, but a lot of times we might have to change the color or the size. And I have to understand the file types and how to, how to use them, how to change them. So yeah, I guess it's kind of an extensive, <laughs> there's a lot of software, you know, but the big ones are Articulate Captivate, then Camtasia for video, Photoshop Illustrator for images, InDesign for documents and Acrobat, I guess, could be in there. A little bit of HTML, CSS, some database understanding. I mean, it gets, I can keep going, but you know, those are the, the real basic is Articulate or Captivate. Can you do basic e-learning development? That's what most clients want. And most of the clients we work with, that's what we help them with. But then, you know, they have a question. Oh, we're working with you. We expect you're just like an instructional technologist. You know everything about this. We're interested in this kind of LMS. What do you think? Or will this work with HIPAA or SCORM? And they start to ask a lot of questions that, you know, you kind of, it's nice when you can answer them. That's kind of where I come in as the tech person piece, being able to answer that stuff. But uh, anyway, guys, I'm at 40 minutes, so I'm stopping because I need to get back to work. I have a presentation tomorrow at 9 a.m. Actually, it, look, Wilmington, 1 million cups presentation. It's about eSports tomorrow, 9 a.m. I present for six minutes. Anyone in the world is welcome to sign up and watch it. 9 a.m. Eastern time, 1 million cups, Wilmington. I'm talking about eSports for six minutes. Go watch it tomorrow. Um, I have a bunch of eSports videos anyway up on my website, YouTube channel, but watch them. And uh, anyway, later all, and uh, have a good day, have a good week, be safe, and uh, hopefully everyone has a good week. Later, everybody.